today on It's Time. Sometimes, even in ministry, we cannot go by what the crowds want you to do, even Christian crowds. I hear the calling, it's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the New Testament book of Acts. So follow along as we join Pastor Mike. Tonight, if you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to open them to Acts chapter 18. We'll continue our study looking at the power of the Holy Spirit in the early church. Now, the power of the Holy Spirit didn't dwell in a building. It dwelt in people, like you and me. And because of that, what to expect as you live your life in the Spirit, what to expect in your life when you see God lead you. And I think that's really important because sometimes people around you may not understand the leading of God. This is one of the issues sometimes that people oftentimes think that you can put God in a box. But when we really study the scripture, Jesus likened the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, like the wind. It goes, it has its effect, but you can't see it. Well, Acts 18 tonight is where we'll pick up where we left off last time we were together. Now, again, uh, line upon line, precept upon precept is a Really what Isaiah says is the way we are to study God's Word, not just hopscotching through the Bible and just taking bits and pieces and fragments and things. You'll, you can't do that in your regular diet. You can't do that really when you're studying God's Word. If you do that, you're going to find yourself anemic. You're going to find you picking your favorite things to eat. And of course, uh, causing many other issues and problems in your life. You know, if you only live on hot fudge Sundays, that's going to create an issue uh, in, in, your, in your pancreas. And so understanding that, we, we want to have a balanced Christian experience and knowing what God, what we expect God to do. This is why I think a lot of times people become imbalanced in their Christian experience. This is why Paul wrote the book of First and Second Corinthians, because it was a church that he helped form and start And yet he gave them a good foundation, but because they got into weird stuff, um, Paul had to write those letters to correct them and straighten them out. Well, this is where we find Paul tonight uh, there in Corinth as he has continued to minister and uh, establishes this church here. This is what we find up to verse 17 where we left off last week. Let's pray. Father, as we Go to your word tonight. May your Holy Spirit speak to us, inspire us, give us your vision, your wisdom, Lord, the indebtedness of your word. And so, Father, we ask you now this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, We know that Paul comes to Corinth. We remember that um, God comforted him, told him that things were going to be all right. (laughs) I just see Paul going, what's that mean? Well, of course, he ends up back, drug back into court. The Jews, of course, stirring up the people against the Christians. Now, again, these are people that claim to have a relationship with God, but yet do not live as if they had ever known God. I can't help but think about when the people that uh, the um, Pharisees were together contemplating Jesus's death. There on the wall behind them, 
are the scrolls of the Old Testament predicting and saying exactly what they would do. Um, We know that spiritual jealousy is probably one of the greatest, darkest motivators that there is. And the very first murder in the Bible was over spiritual jealousy. Cain's uh, sacrifice was rejected, but Abel's was accepted. And rather than Cain purifying his heart, as God spoke to him and said, if you do well, your sacrifice will be accepted. Rather than do that, he just killed Abel. And again, we talked about this before. It wasn't over him stealing his sheep or or flirting with his wife or uh, making uh, uh, Abel's kids slaves. It was simply because his sacrifice was accepted, Cain's was rejected. So understanding that, Paul then um, is drugged before the uh, Gallio and and all. and, And this time it went differently. And I believe this is why God told him that in the dream is because this time... Gallio said, you know, if you had some legal issue, but over just him talking about what he believes in faith, uh, there's uh, nothing here. And so he let him go. And what was amazing, the Greeks went and beat up this guy that had drug him into the court. Now, later on, we find he gets what appears to be he gets saved, which is great. But uh, we remember that God has this way of doing things. Well, coming into some new ground here, verse 18. So Paul remained a good while. Some Bible scholars estimate this to be a year, year and a half, possibly a little longer. But uh, it was a good while that he remained there in Corinth to encourage them. Now, the reason why this is important, Corinth was, an, was a trade city. It was located between really uh, where everything came together, you might say. And because of that, it was inland a little bit. Because of that, it was a, a place of great trade. A lot of philosophies, ideas came into the town. And of course, those things affluence people. And unfortunately, sometimes it influences Christians. And so Paul then endeavors to stay there to establish a very well-trained church. And of course, Priscilla and Aquila came with him and uh, he converted them as they came from Rome. And uh, so we find then that the Jews were dispelled. Paul reasoned with Priscilla and Aquila. They accepted Christ. And so then they had a tent-making business together. And all that went down. And so now he has friends. Paul remained a good while, literally there in Corinth. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had cut his hair off in Sanria, for he had taken a vow. Now, immediately reading this, and what's really quite quite interesting, I read several commentaries on this particular thing. It's said that, that one of the things that's kind of amazing here is everybody just assumes it was the Apostle Paul. But it doesn't say that, does it? It just says he. Was it he, Aquila, or was it he, the Apostle Paul? We don't know. Some people believe it was probably more of the lines of, of uh, Aquila than it would be Paul because we remember that Aquila and Priscilla had came from Rome. The, Roman, um, the Romans uh, kicked them out of Rome. Evidently, these, this issue with the Christians and the Rome, uh, with the Jews became very dissettling in the Roman Empire. And so what they did is they just dispelled all the Jews out of Rome. Now, we don't know for sure the reason why the, Ro- the Romans removed the Jews from Rome. But whatever reason it was, Priscilla and Aquila happened to come where Paul was. 
And because they had a strong Jewish heritage, it, it, it would probably stand a reason that it very well could be um, Aquila rather than Paul. Now, we'll get into this a little bit more in a second. But it said he cut his hair off in, in Centria. And so this is the seaport, you might say, the town of the seaport for um, Corinth. And, and uh, you might say it's the gateway. It's, it's very close by. And so he made this vow and some people, we don't know what kind of a vow it was even. Now, some people automatically assume it's a Nazarite vow, which in the Old Testament, if you were to take a Nazarite vow, you would be separating yourself from alcohol and meats and different things like this for a period of 30 days. But we don't know what kind of a vow it was. It doesn't say what kind of a vow it is. And so it's kind of fun sometimes to read commentaries that just assume certain things that are in the scripture when the scripture doesn't say that. We don't know the reason why. You say, why is that important? Well, because some people say, well, what was Paul doing? Practicing, you might say, uh, a vow or a Nazarite kind of thing when really he knew that the Gentiles weren't under any such you might say, um, laws, why was he doing it? Well, it's a good question, but we don't even know that it was Paul doing it. We just know one of the two men had made a vow. Now, notice it says that uh, they'd taken a vow. Now, the next question. See, I, I, you came in here thinking you were going to walk out of here with less questions. Now, sometimes you walk out of here with more, okay? Why did he take the vow? <laughs> that even gets more. It's not listed here. We don't know why. Some believe that perhaps he was very thankful for the ministry that flourished while he was there in Corinth. Others believe that he was separating himself or consecrating himself for further work concerning God, whoever it was that cut his hair off. Quite often what they would do in a Nazarite vow, they would cut their hair, they would save it. They would take it to Jerusalem And then there at the temple, they would burn it as a burnt offering before the Lord. It's kind of unusual, but that's what the Bible tells us. This is what they would do. So was it a Nazarite vow? We don't know. Was it because of Thanksgiving? We don't know. Was it because they were uh, consecrating himself for further work? We don't know. Who was it? We don't know. And he came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Now, um, he came with Priscilla and Aquila to Ephesus. Here it says he left them there. Paul was going to go on, as we'll read on here, we're going to see that he's going to want to go to Jerusalem. Now, some people believe if this was a Nazarite vow, that in order to really complete the Nazarite vow, that the hair had to be burned in Jerusalem. So this is why some people assume that it may be Paul wanting to do this because he wanted to get to Jerusalem to do this. Some others believe that he simply wanted to go to Jerusalem to be there at that special time of the year and to see the church, those people that believed in Christ. So it says he came to Ephesus. He left them there. Them, if you like to make notes in your Bible, Priscilla and Aquila, okay? But he himself entered into a synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. This was really something that we find that Paul always did. He he just really had a heart for his Jewish brethren. Now, I believe that that's the same way that I believe all of us should have a passion in our relationship with God 
for whatever ministry God's called us into. And he had this tremendous heart for his own people. Now, I believe the reason possibly was that Paul, being schooled by Gamaliel, he was an Ivy League Jewish boy that was really in, you might say, a high up in the synagogue. He was somebody that that went around persecuting the Christians until he was on the road there to Damascus and, and God laid him out. And there Jesus asked him, why are you persecuting me? And he says, well, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Oh, okay. Well, he was led by the hand blind till he got into Damascus. And there they prayed for him. He received the Holy Spirit. Scales fell off his eyes. It doesn't say he spoke in tongues. I'm sure if he would have prayed in tongues there, it would have mentioned it. But it doesn't say that. It says something like scales fell off his eyes. And and the Bible tells us that he became quite um, uh, an anomaly, you might say, uh, for both the Jews and the Christians because... The Jews couldn't believe he converted to Christ. And the Gentile, or maybe I should say the church, had a hard time believing that he wasn't faking his Christianity to be a spy. A lot of the early church was very scared of Paul. So we find here that he had this burden for the Jews. I was once one of you. I know how to reach their their psyche. I, I was raised in, 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 in strict Judaism and I, I can communicate to them the truth of who Jesus is. This is what his heart was. And so he says that uh, he reasoned with them um, there at Ephesus in the synagogue. Now, two years before, uh, he was going to minister there at Ephesus, and uh, this is where the temple of Diana was, and uh, created quite an uproar there. Later on, we'll find... um, But uh, the Holy Spirit told him no, uh, not to minister here. He just went on to the next place. And so when they asked him to stay longer, uh, longer time with them, he did not consent. So now this is really the second time that Paul really didn't uh, spend a lot of time in Ephesus. He was going to, but not right now. But he took leave of them saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem But I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. That's true. He did come back to Ephesus and God used him in a great way there. Now, he says they asked him to stay longer and he he didn't do that. Now, why is that important? Because sometimes, even in ministry, we cannot go by what the crowds want you to do, even Christian crowds. You follow that? Because sometimes we think, oh, well, they're Christians. They're, they're not going to be telling me to do something that's contrary to what the Holy Spirit would be. Not always true. And so we have to do what God's called us to do. And even though sometimes and we realize relationships and friendships and, and all these things that happen, sometimes there's a time where we have to say goodbye. And uh, that's a kind of a hard thing for a lot of times for people to uh, understand. And so it says that, um, they asked him to stay longer, but he did not consent. If you like to underline things in your Bible, you might underline the word not there because you would think that he would have stayed because here was a willing audience. But he says that I will uh, come back again to you, God willing. He said, hey, I need to keep the, fa- the, the feast in Jerusalem. Many people believe this had something to do with the hair. 
But again, the scripture doesn't say that. When the scripture doesn't say that, then we have to back off and not just assume that this was a Nazarite vow taken by Paul going to Jerusalem to burn his hair (laughs) because it doesn't say that. Now, if he is Paul, then maybe that's true. But if he is Aquila, which we don't know for sure, then that creates another issue. So, so we sailed from Ephesus. And when he landed at Caesarea and had gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. Now, literally, this is where um, he actually goes home. Now, Caesarea was the current seaport for Jerusalem. It used to be Joppa. But what happened was Joppa became, the, the port became a little ratty, and uh, we, we know that, um, that it was improved, and so they chose that one over, and so you might say that uh, they picked the better of the two ports to go to. And it says that uh, he went to Caesarea, um, and gone up, greeted the church, and went down to Antioch. Now, going back to Ephesus... So he goes from Ephesus by water to Caesarea, there in the Jerusalem and the Israel coast, to go up to Jerusalem to see the brethren, to be there for the feast, and to greet, no doubt, his friends. Um, But he was going to come back to Ephesus. And um, he came back, and literally he stayed for three years, where the Holy Spirit prevented him before from sharing two years earlier, when they asked him to stay, he turned that down, and then uh, he comes back and he stays for th- three years to encourage him. And so then from there, he went down to Antioch. And after he'd spent some time there, he departed and went over all the regions of Galatia, Pergia, and, the, uh, and in order, strengthening all the disciples. So he was on the move, encouraging, blessing, And friends, I I believe that's the same thing we do too. I I believe that though we might not be traveling all over the world, wherever we go, we should be an encourager. We should be those people that that, um, want to see the kingdom of God come and to strengthen uh, the brethren. So uh, again, I I just want to encourage you to let your light shine. It does make a difference. It does affect other people. And uh, so you want to continue to pray and lift people up because that will really bless them. Well, verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos born in Alexandria, Egypt, an eloquent man and mighty in scriptures came to Ephesus. Now, this is kind of amazing here because you find Paul already have departed. Priscilla and Aquila are still there, his close dear friends who he trained and schooled. Now we have this guy named Apollos that comes into town, into Ephesus. Now, many people believe that Apollos we find him mentioned other places in the scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12, as a matter of fact, where it's, it, some say, well, I'm of Apollos and I'm of Paul. And he says, but I'm of Christ and is Christ divided? Some people try to say, well, maybe, you know, Paul, uh, maybe uh, this Apollos guy had kind of a spirit of division about him. Well, it doesn't say Paul was doing, or uh, uh, Apollos was doing that. That's just what people were saying about him. So we got to be careful because sometimes people say things about people that aren't necessarily true. And this is what evidently could have happened here. But we know that Priscilla and Aquila stayed behind. And now we have this guy, Apollos, showing up as many people believe a missionary 
preaching the baptism of John and the Old Testament Judaism. Kind of an amazing thing. This guy had a real zeal for God. Even though, even though it was the Old Testament, you might say, he still was going out and making proselytes or trying to win people to Yahweh. Well, notice it says, This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. Notice, though he only knew the baptism of John. So in other words, it is possible before Christ to have known the right way. In other words, not just rules and regulations and a bunch of dead orthodoxy, but actually there was a way. And this is the, you might say, the ministry of John the Baptist. Remember John the Baptist, he'd go around saying, make straight um, the road, every valley shall be uh, lifted up and every mountain be brought down. Get the road ready for the Messiah. This, this is what the, the message of John was. And so here was a guy that was actually following in the footsteps of John, not just to the nation of Israel, but now outside of the nation of Israel, going out, you might say, as a missionary. So the Spirit of God, even in the Old Testament, and those that did not have a full revelation of the New Testament, it was possible for the Holy Spirit to motivate them into doing something for the kingdom of heaven. Notice a couple things here. It says, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, fervent in spirit, and taught accurately. Wow, that was good. What was he teaching? Well, he had to be teaching the Old Testament. That's all he had. And going from the Old Testament, you know, again, this is what Jesus said. He said, search the scriptures. In them you think you have eternal life, but they are actually which testify of me. And so when we look in the Old Testament, the old thing we want to always do is find Jesus because he's on every page. Somehow, some way. And as we've shared this before, they say when Messiah comes, even the space between the letters will mean something. Well, understanding that, you will find those picture types of Christ all the way through the Bible. We remember uh, uh, Abraham sends an unnamed servant out to find Isaac a wife. Now, again, the unnamed servant back in Genesis you just kind of say, well, he's just a name. They didn't write his name down. Is that significant? I believe it is. Why is that? Well, because you have an unnamed servant. We have the Holy Spirit that's gone out into this world looking for Jesus Christ, a wife. See, and that's what the Bible talks about. We're his bride. And so when we look in the Old Testament all the way through those pictures of things that we see, we see the children of Israel coming out of slavery and going through the Red Sea, a a type of baptism, and their past was washed away. The enemy was destroyed as Pharaoh tried to follow him, and the sea closed on them uh, as the children of Israel were uh, safe on the dry ground. Then the wilderness experience happens, and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and they go through the Jordan River. What's symbolic about that? The Bible tells us that um, there's two baptisms that we find. We find being baptized for remission of sins, and we find being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So you find the children of Israel now going through the Jordan River, and when they come up on the other side, where are they at? They are on the promised land. So understanding a lot of these picture types in the Bible, it says that he taught the Bible accurately. And I think that's really important because a lot of times people think, well, if you're not inspired by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, then you wouldn't be necessarily teaching the Bible accurately uh, if all you had was the Old Testament. And we find a great illustration here. It's the same God. 
I've had people come to me and say, well, why was God such a God of wrath and fire and brimstone in the Old Testament and a God of love and, you know, holding the lambs in the new? Well, God changed. No, wrong. It's the same God, Old Testament or New Testament. God is eternally angry at sin. And we have those illustrations for us in the Old Testament. And we see in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, when Jesus comes back to execute righteousness on the judge, uh, on the, on this world in judgment, the Bible says his vesture, his coat is covered with blood as he lays waste these enemies of God. So we find Old Testament or New Testament, we find this wrath of God. Yet in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we find the love of God. When God told Jonah to go to this Gentile city, the capital of the Assyrian Empire, Nineveh, and tell them to repent. Jonah didn't want to go. And God made a great, you might say, inconvenience in Jonah's life to get him to do what he was supposed to go do. Thanks for joining us on It's Time, as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time.